Hi, and welcome to Cornerbrook Baptist Church. We're still in the uh, in the close phase. Hopefully, we will be able to reopen soon. And this is our Sunday morning sermon for uh, March seventh, brand new month, and we are uh, trying to conclude the book of James this morning. In fact, entitled my message, "Final Words from James." But first, let me begin today with something that Dale Carnegie once said that I think is somewhat typical of the way James approaches uh, communication. He said, look your audience straight in the eyes and begin to talk as if every one of them owed you money. James carries that kind of approach when he speaks to the audience of his day. Let me read you a little of what he says in the final verses of chapter 5. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is there anyone among you who is sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And those verses are ones that many of us have heard so often before. James continues in, in verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now in verses 7 to 12, a little earlier, James encourages his readers to be patient. He joins the idea of being patient with standing firm. His illustration of this is the farmer who tills the soil, plants the seed, and tends the seed seedlings, but also prepares for harvest. The farmer does all of this even though his crop depends upon forces beyond his control, things like rain and sunshine. His or her faith is rooted in expectations that forces as old as time are at work. No farmer plants a crop not expecting a harvest. The patience is necessary because the crop is precious. It's food. It is life, not to mention employment for the farmer. Now, we all make assumptions. We assume that health and employment and politics and the interplay between relationships, the powerful effect of weather, and the effect of our faith will all work together to give us an outcome we expect. Yes, there will always be some unpredictable things, but we strive towards largely shared goals. If I ask you today what you hope for, your dreams and expectations would probably be very close to mine. James concludes this section, and indeed his book, by telling his readers that they can depend upon the mercy and the compassion of God. Everything else may change. Hopes can be dashed and dreams can disappear. Goals can evaporate, 
but God is the ever-present one, the dependable constant in an ever-changing world. Now, we have to be even more patient with the purposes of God. The seed of the Word of God has been planted in the heart of the believer, and the harvest is eternal life. Endure anything and everything to gain it. Paul said that he must press on to reach this all-surpassing goal. Now, against the backdrop of this epistle, we have to consider that James was addressing a group of people who, for the most part, are out of sync with the will of God. They're basically doing their own thing. They're making their own decisions. They're forging their own path without due regard for what God desired of their lives. They were running over everybody and anybody in their way to achieve to their own goals. Well, people who live like that, who have only a veneer of spirituality over basically a selfish life, should not be surprised when they run into problems. If the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, where do other paths, those not ordered by the Lord, lead? James tells us in verse 13, they lead to trouble. And yet even when we have done our best, we sometimes encounter trouble. But you see, whenever we step out of the will of God, we enter a minefield with potentially scary consequences, even deadly at times. Examples? Remember Achan who stole from the bounty of Jericho and paid for it, he and his family. King Saul was impatient to wait for Samuel to offer his sacrifice and went ahead and did it himself. King David was guilty of both adultery and murder. We all know the famous New Testament example of the betrayal of Judas. If you read further into the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the apostles paid with their lives. Hindsight gives us amazing perspective on the sins and misdemeanors of others. And James' advice to this, in the face of trouble, pray. You see, the human response to sin is to run and hide, like Adam and Eve tried to do from God in the Garden of Eden. Like Jonah, when he heard the call of God, fled on a ship to Tarshish. And we know that didn't end well for him. James says to face it and to pray. He says to enlist others to pray for us. And James has used some choice words earlier in this epistle to describe the power of the tongue. He describes it as a raging fire, a horse with no bit in its mouth, a ship driven with no rudder, a raging evil full of deadly poison. But the same tongue in God's will can be used to praise and encourage and pray. Now, James 5, 14 to 15, has been quoted by so many as a formula of what to do when there is sickness among us. And sickness seems to be everywhere. I've witnessed this in action all of my life, and especially in my pastoral life. Someone will come forward to the altar area of the church, and they will either sit or stand while others gather with them, and together we pray that this person will be healed of the, of the physical problem they are having. I've watched people change in those kinds of moments. I've seen souls and bodies restored, but not everybody. These verses are not a formula for, for success in prayer every time, 
But in the context of this section of James, the person who is being prayed for is someone who has sinned and who has reaped the consequences. The sin has to be confessed, prayer offered that the person will be raised up, forgiven, and go forward in wholeness. That doesn't mean that this is not a great practice for all sickness. It certainly is. But for someone who has brought something on themselves, it's also a prescription for restoration. Now, the notable expositor and pastor Warren Wearsby, whose writings I have, I have always loved, offers this sound counsel on these very familiar verses. He says, but what is this prayer of faith that heals the sick? The answer, Wearsby says, is in 1 John 5, 14 to 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that he can hear us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. The prayer of faith is a prayer offered when you know the will of God, Wiersbe states. The elders would seek the mind of God in the matter and then pray according to his, to his will. In a few years of pastoral ministry that I've had, I've seen broken people bring their burdens. I've seen them bring moral issues and financial trouble. Others bring sickness of body or mind, walk away from it, release from their cares and their burdens to go on to solid, productive lives. Fervent prayer, confession, and repentance can solve so many issues. In our time, it is so easy to circumvent God's process that he's put in place here. We invent excuses for behavior today. We play the blame game and absolve ourselves. Somebody is always at fault. Where there's no acknowledgement of sin, there's no confession. James is not talking about mere faults or just minor indiscretions. He used the Greek word that has an archery application, hamartia. It means missing the mark. The archer propels the arrow forward from the bow, but it falls short of the target. Therefore, in the context of sin, it is falling short of the standard that God sets. That's classic sin. Most wrongdoing today is labeled as a crime, a transgression of human law, which is a, a more limited view. Sin is an offense in the eyes of God, and no human agency can cleanse us of that. We have to go back to him. We're capable of so much wrong that can be written off as a mistake or an error in judgment, or we can say we were under stress. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. You see, when we bypass God, we bypass the answer to our trouble. James convinces me in this portion that there's a God-ordered way to deal with our problems. 
pardon me for saying so, but Dr. Phil can't fix them. Throwing them out on Facebook will reap its own kind of reward. Bottling them up is not, not the answer. I believe it was Ann Landers many years ago who said that hate is like acid, and we're hearing so much about hate today. It not only destroys the object on which it is poured, but also the container in which it is stored. I Did It My Way is a, a great song, but it's a philosophy for loneliness, brokenness, and loss. Our way, we know, is not God's way. I think that just might be, might be a biblical idea. James concludes with a mission. He's no fool. He knows that the whole race is willful. We want to forge our own path and take our chances. And believe me, when we do, there will be, there will be casualties. The mission of the church and the individual is so clear in these closing verses. There's a mission to redirect those who wander. That's what James states. The first part of the mission is an, is an injunction to take up the mantle of Elijah and pray. There's no excuse for us not to follow Jesus' own example and that of the prophet that, of the prophet that James mentions. He prayed against bad leadership as he pointed towards God's leadership. His prayer, James says, stopped the reins, and his prayer started the reins again after three and a half years. Now, the second injunction is to embark upon a ministry towards those who have strayed. Now, the straying in our time, that idea is a pandemic, a spiritual one. Example, roughly only half of all millennials people who are between the ages of 23 and 38 believe religious affiliation or instruction is necessary for them or their children. They're looking elsewhere for moral values other than the word of God or for the teachings of the church. They see the church as being way too negative. There are multitudes who have just not forsaken the institution have forsaken God. James is not talking in this portion about those who are outside the church, but believers. While I was writing during this, during this past week, a friend sent me a note that I'd, that I'd seen stating how deep this restoration need has become. The author he quoted said that at one time, the church was the force for evangelism. But today, it is the field for evangelism. In this short epistle, James has been so direct. He's gotten up close. Sometimes James has been too close for comfort. He's invaded our personal space, something we know all about in COVID-19. He's gotten right into our face, and he's said some very uncomfortable things. As we have gone through James, we realize his words are tough to process. The realities James points to in the first century are still realities today. They are tough to face. But if redemption is really what the church is to be about, then James needs to be required reading. And I trust 
that we will keep him close to our hearts and in our minds as we navigate the day in which we live. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for all of the blessings that you've poured into our lives, all of the resources that you offer us, not just to make it through, but in order to be victorious in our Christian lives. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be willing to be instructed. And help us to take the words of, of James and apply them to our souls, apply them to our daily lives, so that we may represent you in a better way. We bless you today and pray that those who listen to this service, who may struggle in some area of life, will realize that God indeed does have answers for where they are today, and may they find you, and may their need be met as they're obedient to the message of the Word of God. We ask these tender mercies in Christ's name. Amen.